So that's Tuesday. No registration required, nothing like that. Just ladies, I hope that's a great night together and spending time together and, and having fun. And, and so Tuesday night, our Sandusky campus, no need to sign up, just show up and have a good time. Uh, you know, it was several years ago now, my youngest daughter, Rory, she, she wrote me this note and she left it on my desk here at work and, and, um, and so when I came into the office on Monday, I found this note that she had left me on my desk. And uh, with her permission, I want to share this note with you today. So this is, this is what it said. Dear Dad, I love you. You are nice to me. I love you so, so much. God made you so, so special, and I love that. Now get this, you smell so, so handsome. I love that you're my dad. She wrote Bob for a long time. She called me Bob because she thought it was so funny. I don't know. You are nice and sweet to me. Thank you for everything, love, Rory. Now, when I saw this on my desk, you know what I, you know what I said that evening to her? I said, Rory, this is ridiculous. Look at the spelling. This is horrible. Your lines aren't straight. The, the words are, are bad. The spelling's bad. The punctuate, like, is this the best that you can do, Rory? I don't accept this. Take it back, fix it, make it right, and then give it to me, and that's when I will accept it. Now, you're all looking at me like I'm horrible. Of course I didn't say that. <laughs> if you think I said that, then you don't know me very well. Because this was, this was incredibly special to me, and it has remained incredibly special. I've kept this note for years, and I'll probably keep it for, for many more years to come, because when my daughters have written me these notes, or they've drawn me pictures, you know, the ones with the scribbly lines all over the page, we keep them, because they're special to us. They, they're impactful to us. They, they mean something. I cherish them. I, I give them hugs and I say, thank you. Thank you so much. I love you. Why? Because the note is perfect? No, that's, it's not perfect. That's not why it's so special. It's special because she is my child and I love her. It's special because she took time to think about me and she wrote something from her heart to me because she loves me. And, and that impacted me more than anything. She gave me her best. As I think about this, I wonder if this is true, then, then why do you think it is so different when you and I pray to our Heavenly Father? How many of us in this room have fallen into this trap that, of thinking that we need to pray some, some holier-than-thou prayer? That our words and our speech have to be so eloquent for the Lord. And, 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 and thoughts that, that if we don't bring Him the perfect prayer, somehow He's not going to listen to us, or He's not going to accept, or you won't like it, or, or He'll somehow scold us and tell us we're not good enough. And so we come to the Lord and we use words with him that we would never use on a normal basis. 
and we speak to him in a tone we would never otherwise speak. All, all why? For the sake of, of hopefully impressing God, of winning his approval, of, of, of somehow making him love us more? In fact, the opposite is true. And I think that's why this author, Richard Foster, he says it this way. He said, God receives us just as we are and accepts our prayers just as they are. In the same way that a small child cannot draw a bad picture, so a child of God cannot offer a bad prayer. You know, we may say the wrong things. We may repeat ourselves over and over again. We may even fall asleep. We may, we may yell out to God or we may cry out to him. We may offer him our celebration and our praise. We, we might just sit in silence with God. Whatever the case may be, all God cares about is receiving whatever picture it is that you color for him. He just wants us, his children. He just wants us. And that's why we're focusing over these next 21 days on prayer and fasting because we want to learn about how we can truly connect with God in a real way. And so today, I want to take a look at, at prayer, at personal prayer. And, and, and not so much what we pray, but I want to take a look at one of the ways Jesus tells us how we should pray in hopes that when we come to God with our true, authentic selves, we can, some, we can get a fresh perspective on prayer this morning. So if you have your Bibles or if you're using your phone app, uh, we're going to be in the book of Luke today. So you can go ahead and turn to the book of Luke. It's towards the back of the Bible in the New Testament. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11. And as you get there, let me give you just a little context of what's going on in this passage today. See, we find in this passage that Jesus is praying. Jesus is. And, and he's so impressive with how he prays. He, 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 he's touching the, the disciples' heart with this. The disciples are hearing him and thinking, man, I want to pray like him. And so they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. We want to pray like you. Teach us. And, and so Jesus teaches them a beautiful prayer that we all have heard and know and love that we call the Lord's Prayer. And, and, but Jesus doesn't just stop with, with what we should pray. Jesus goes on to tell us how we should pray. And that leads us up to Luke chapter 11. And an incredible story Jesus uses to teach them about prayer. Here it is. Jesus says, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door's locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. Okay? So let me stop here just for a moment to, to give a quick few observations uh, to this story Jesus is telling. So to truly appreciate this friend, this guy's predicament he's in, we need to understand a few cultural contexts that aren't apparent to us today in 2021. 
So, so and since this man, he's in need of, of, of some food because one of his friends has come to visit and has shown up in the middle of the night. Now, to you and I, that sounds a little weird that a visitor would just show up at your house in the middle of the night. But in this culture, this isn't abnormal. People would travel at nighttime. It was hot during the day, and they were walking. So they would travel at night often because of the cooler temperatures. This wasn't abnormal. And because of this, he shows up at this guy's house at nighttime. However, obviously no email, no cell phones. The guy didn't know he was going to be arriving. He wasn't sure. So it surprised him that this man showed up at his doorstep. But to be a good first century Jewish host, a couple of things had to happen. He was religiously obligated and he was socially obligated to provide this traveler with something to eat. And he wanted to be a good host. Herein lies the problem. The man doesn't have anything to eat. This wasn't totally uncommon because oftentimes you would make enough food for the day. No refrigerators, no freezers, couldn't keep food overnight so they would purchase enough for the day or make enough for the day. Oftentimes, by the end of the day, you wouldn't have anything left. That wasn't uncommon to run into this situation. And so it's true with this man. He was all out. End of the day, all the bread, all the fresh food he had was eaten. And so he turns to the next best thing. No Taco Bell, no Walmart. He goes to his neighbor's house. He asks his neighbor, do you have anything left to eat? I'm in desperate need to feed this traveling friend of mine. I, I think it's interesting, too, that Jesus specifically highlights that he went to the friend's house at midnight. This is smack dab in the middle of his night. This is the most inopportune time for, for someone to go to someone else's house and ask for food. People would have been in the middle of their sleep, much like you and I. In fact, even more so for them, they would have gotten up early. They would have worked hard all day long in the heat. By the end of the day, they're tired. So he, his wife, and his kids, they're all in bed, sound asleep. It's midnight. Well, then finally Jesus points out to us that the friend inside won't get up. He says, the door's locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I doubt the neighbor's being rude here. I, I think what's going on here is that they're living in a one-room house. They're close quarters. It's likely this man was sleeping next to his wife and his children. If he would have gotten up, then guess who else gets up? Now, this might not seem like an important detail to you, but... If you have kids and you have grandkids that sleep with you, then you know how important this detail is because it is hard to get kids to sleep. And once they're asleep, we don't want to wake them up. So we start whispering and we turn the TV volume down and we pray the Lord that the dog doesn't bark and don't crinkle the potato chip bag. You don't want the kids getting up because once they're up, it's awful hard to get them to go back to sleep. This, this, this may have been the case. 
If this guy gets up, his whole family gets up. Perhaps this is the reason he doesn't want to get up and help his friend out. There's several things that could be going on here. So to recap, here we got a guy who wants to be a good host. He goes to this neighbor's house in the middle of the night, asks him for food, wakes him from a deep sleep, probably wakes his family from a deep sleep. I, I wonder, do you, see, do you see what's kind of happening here? Jesus is pointing out to us in this story that here we have a man who is in need. He has a deep need. He wants to provide. He needs to provide for his friend who's shown up unexpectedly at the doorstep. And in this desperation has caused him to act boldly, knowing that he was going to wake up his neighbor and the entire family. But even in his boldness, the neighbor friend does not want to get up does not want to wake up his children. He refuses to help the friend out. So, what is this guy to do? What is he supposed to do next? Well, Jesus tells us next in the story what this guy is to do. He says, I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Jesus tells us that the friend finally does get up. He does give the neighbor what he needs, but he doesn't do it for the sake of friendship. He does it because the, the, the friend is shamelessly persistent. And this is an... This is an interesting word that he uses, shamelessly persistent. It, in fact, it's only used one time in the entire New Testament of the Bible, which quite honestly makes it a little difficult to define. We don't have a lot of context from other things. But I, what we believe is he's trying to convey here is the idea of a, shameful, a shameless boldness that he possessed. A shameless boldness that this man will do whatever it takes to provide for his traveling friend. That a shameless boldness that, that this man would go in the middle of the night and ask for three pieces of bread. A shameless boldness that this man would go outside his neighbor's house and knock on the door and wake up his entire family. It's a shameless boldness. And because of this, that the friend finally gets up and he gives the friend as much as he needs. Now I wonder to myself, why is Jesus using this story when telling us about how to pray? It seems odd to me. And I think it's because of this shameless boldness is exactly how Jesus says we are to go to our Father, our Heavenly Father. In fact, he tells us so in the very next passage of Scripture, and he says, I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Honestly, I'm just, I'm just being truthful here. Too often it feels like we treat prayer like, like some new, new found diet plan. You know those diet plans that you get excited about on Monday? You're going to do this? 
in and drop some pounds. I'm excited. Tuesday, you're still in it. Wednesday, this stinks. By Friday night, I'm hunkered down eating a whole large pizza all by myself. It's done. I've given up. But too often, when we pray, we approach God the same way. We come to him with excitement and anticipation, and we pray to God, but maybe we don't hear from him as quickly as we thought we would. Maybe he doesn't respond quite as, as aggressively as we would like him to respond, so we become frustrated with him. We, we become irritated that he's not answering my prayer the way I want to answer when I want to answer and so I give up. I stop praying, and I even make claims. You see, prayer doesn't work. I prayed, nothing happened. There's proof it doesn't work. I make those claims. But the interesting thing in this story is that the verbs that Jesus uses, those verbs of ask, seek, and knock in verses 9 and 10, those are continuous imperative verbs, which means that Jesus is telling us to keep on asking and you will receive. He's saying, keep on seeking, and you will find. He says, keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. He says, don't give up. Keep doing this over and over. We're to keep coming to God, trusting in him. And, and Jesus is telling us to be shamelessly bold in our prayers to God. Now, here's where the water gets a little muddy because I know I know for a fact there's people sitting in this room right now that are looking at me and they're shaking their head and going I did pray I prayed boldly I prayed shamelessly I prayed over and over again and that person still died that job still didn't come I did what you're saying I should do, and it didn't work. To which I say, I hear you. And let me give you two responses. The first response I want to give you is a more of a theological response. It's a response that says, you know, when we pray, I know we can trust God because he knows more than we do. And he, and he knows exactly what we need and when we need it. And I trust him in that. I, I admit, I, I admit to you, I have prayed and I have prayed before. And I have gotten the answer, not gotten the answer that I desired to get. Even days, weeks Months, years later, though, I've looked back and gone, oh, Lord, thank you. You saved me from a situation I didn't see coming. Thank you for that. In the moment, I didn't like it. But I've had the luxury of following Jesus for a long time now and seeing him work over the days and months and years. 
That is the joy of trusting and following him. I have prayed and prayed and gotten answers much different than I expected, only to realize that the direction God took me was far greater than the direction I would have ever chosen for myself. This is, this is the joy of trusting God and trusting him when things don't make sense. And, and I just want to I just want to say I'm kind of going off script here a little bit. This is the joy of trusting God and following him. Is that you have a history with him. I can months and years later have the joy of looking back and saying, God, I see what you did there. Thank you. I'm telling you that because if you're in this room right now, and you have not been following Jesus for a long time, or you are new to following Jesus, or maybe you're just even experimenting and poking around if it's something you want to do, I'm telling you, hang in there. Because, because as a person who has followed him for a long time, I can encourage you to say, hang in there, because you might not see right now what God is doing, but he might just pull back the curtain someday and you will get to see it and it's going to blow you away. Hang in there. And if you are a veteran Christ follower in this room, it is your responsibility to walk next to someone who's just starting so that you can encourage them in this way. And if you're just starting, find someone who's a veteran and lean into them so that they can help you as you continue to walk with Jesus along the way. This is important to do. I give you that first response, though, and I understand that that can sound cold. That response can sound cold, especially when you're looking into the eyes of someone who's just lost someone. So let me give you a second response. And that is to say this. There's an aspect of prayer that it, it remains a mystery. Sometimes when God says no, I don't know why, and it angers me. And sometimes I didn't pray for a situation, and God still did something amazing and surprised me through it. I wish I could explain to you all of God's ways all the time, but I can't. All I know is we need to be careful to speak for God in ways when he is silent. And while, while I can't claim to understand God's ways or his reasons all the time, I do know this. I do know Jesus tells us to pray, to keep praying, to pray boldlessly, to boldless, to pray shamelessly, to come to him as we are and to not stop. I know this because prayer changes things. Sometimes it changes me. Sometimes prayer changes me. I can receive peace even when there's outcomes that I didn't want to have happen. I, I, I can have, have strength through prayer. I can, I can receive wisdom. I can be refreshed. I can be comforted. I can be emboldened through prayer. Sometimes through prayer, my heart is changed as a result. And sometimes... Prayer changes the situation. I've seen things in my life and in others' lives that could only be considered miracles that have happened because prayer has moved the heart of God and he has done something incredible. Sometimes prayer changes things. And sometimes prayer reminds me that I am not in control, that he is. 
that, that I can have a new perspective, that I can bring my worries, my fears, my concerns, and I can leave them at the feet of God knowing that he is in control, not me. I love Psalm 121. It says, I look to the mountains. Does my help come from there? No, it comes from the maker of the heavens and the earth. He is bigger than anything we could ever know. And he is in control. I am not. And sometimes prayer changes all three of those things at the same time. It's incredible. So I want to leave you this morning and encourage you with this. Over these next 21 days, we want to, as a church, be praying faithfully every day. And to help, we gave you last week these 21-day these prayer guides. They have a prayer prompt, a scripture, some ideas and thoughts for you to pray. One for every day for the next 21 days. If you got one, great. If you didn't get one, there's some at the Welcome Center. Stop and grab them on the way out. Take these, use them help you over these next 21 days to be praying every day. Keep on praying. That's the second thing I want to encourage you with is Jesus says, don't stop. Keep on. So I encourage you with the same thing. Don't stop. Color your pictures as messy as they may be. Take them boldly to the Lord and leave them on his desk. Don't stop. Keep on because he loves you and will be moved. We are his children and we have an amazing heavenly father who loves us like crazy. So I encourage you, keep on. Now let me close this if I could with just a, a, a benediction. I, I'm using Psalm 86 as this benediction, a psalm that I, I go to often and it says this. Lord, you are so good, you are so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. So listen closely to my prayer, O Lord. Hear my urgent cry, and I will call on you whenever I am in trouble, and you will answer me. Amen. So keep coloring those pictures this week, and we'll see you next week, and we have some greeters who will dismiss you from the back.